So the idea is that each guest will co-create an intro and outro musical bit with me. Um, which <laughs> I apologize if I didn't make that uh, apparent to you in the prep for this. I'm but... so excited. <laughs> okay. Um, oh my god. Uh, can I use my xylophone? Absolutely. Okay. Oh my gosh, she has a xylophone within reach. <laughs> How suspiciously convenient. Yeah, I was, I was like, oh, I have no idea. Okay. 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 Hello listeners, and welcome to the Lightbulb Lounge, where we talk about creating, do some creating, celebrate it a bit, and maybe figure out why we don't do it more. Beautiful. <laughs> okay, could you, I, I'm going to do a little, I'm here with Karen Brennan, or I'm. Or my name's Gabriel Anuzzi, and I'm here with... Karen Brennan. Yeah, that's you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think a single take is all we need for yeah, that part. nailed it. Um, <laughs> perhaps the name... Karen Brennan rings a xylophone from episode one. Here's Ruben reacting to my plans to chat with her. But I also have to go meet Karen Brennan for my next <laughs> interview, so... Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god is right. Karen Brennan is my professor for the class T550, Designing for Learning by Creating. This class is a fan favorite on campus. In so many ways, the class brings out the best in students as individuals, and as a collective. By creating, we learn how to design for learning by creating. Yeah. My idea for this podcast has been floating around for nearly a year and a half now, but in the structure, freedom, and community of T550, I finally made it a thing. An actual thing. In a million ways, Karen Brennan is both the type of educator and human being I strive to be. That said, this creating thing has been really darn hard for me. I'll leave the reflecting part for the end of this episode. So for now, dear listeners, welcome, welcome to episode two of The Lightbulb Lounge. Oh, Karen Brennan, I have so many things I want to talk to you about. Oh my goodness, okay. Um, <laughs> Where do we start? Can we t- talk about your initial reaction to me dropping this mic down on the table in front of you? Of course. Of your first comment being, that's terrifying. Yes, of course. <laughs> So, like, why? Why terrifying? So, as I mentioned, I am a qualitative researcher and spend a lot of time talking to people. When I talk to people in person, I try and be as unobtrusive as possible. And so I have my phone and I try and just put it somewhere where everyone's voices can be heard, but in a way that does not feel like it's sort of intruding on the space. And so obviously this is a little more present visually (laughs) than a phone. She's pointing at the giant microphone on the table between us right now. (laughs) It's beautiful. Um, I think part of the terror came from, it looks, I'm, I'm leaning towards using the word professional, but that's not exactly the right signifier. It looks authentic in a way that I feel maybe unworthy of. So maybe that was what was terrifying about it. Mm. That I wasn't, I was suddenly unsure that, oh my goodness, am I going to say something that is worthy of such equipment? Again, pointing to the impressive (laughs) (laughs) equipment. So there was something about seeing it and what it might signal about 
am I qualified? Am I prepared? Hmm. In a way that was interesting. And having been interviewed by lots of different people in lots of different settings, uh, there's a different type of preparedness depending on are you in a radio station? Are you in a television station? Are you in my office and someone has brought out a phone? Yeah. That that just feels different. So that's that's what I was thinking of. Was it was internally like a oh my god, have I, <laughs> ha, am I going to fulfill what I want to be um, as helpful um, to you? Already mission successful. Oh. For, <laughs> I mean, I've been wanting to do this podcast for over a year, and the structure of your class has enabled me to do it. So. Already, you just existing has Done. been monumentally oh, helpful. So, you okay? Great. We can talk about anything. <laughs> yeah, okay. so Who cares about the equipment? The, We're doing great. The episode itself <laughs> is irrelevant to your helpfulness. <laughs> it's, it's it's interesting because me carrying around this giant clunky thing connected to my laptop, so just like multiple pounds of equipment, yeah. feels incredibly unprofessional <laughs> of me like thunking this thing down on the table and being like, "Now speak to me," <laughs> you know. Um, Whereas professionals, I feel like, carry around those nice, sleek little microphones with, you know, very unobtrusive, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Is that true? I, because I, it's funny, I do equate professionalism with burdensome equipment. Hmm. I think even, so for, I don't know if you did How People Learn in the summer. I didn't. How People Learn was an online course that many of my fellow students took over the summer before starting graduate school. Yeah. Uh, so they did like a series of video interviews with me and this office had more equipment in it than I thought it was even, it, that it even had capacity for. So this actually, as I said, I feel like it like legitimates you in a way rather than undermines your seriousness or professionalism. So mm. yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't equate professionalism with sleek. I actually think it was like the big Pelican cases. Okay. I think of like lots of equipment. So I don't know. It's your mileage may vary, but I was like, this feels legit. <laughs> so what, what sort of uh, giant clunky pelican cases do you bring into your professional world to convey how serious you are about what you do? Uh, or is serious just <laughs> not what you go for? Uh, I try... <laughs> I, the seriousness I try to bring my work is taking seriously the aspirations, dreams, questions, and intentions of learners. And so I think I, I try, um, I mean, there are physical things I bring right now in 319, 320, that there's like gargantuan materials cart. This materials cart is a set of drawers on wheels that is filled with all sorts of random potential art supplies. Pipe cleaners, shiny paper, glue, scissors, googly eyes, conductive copper strips, you name it. And that's partly about how do you equip people with lots of different types of tools. So yeah. that that thing is hellaciously <laughs> awkward. Um, but I think a lot of the like capacity I try and bring is sort of imaginative capacity. So try and create imaginative space, which fortunately is easy to like carry around. That's more about just being quiet and listening and occasionally asking questions. This maybe bigger parts of my toolkit. <laughs> hmm. So in doing the teaser trailer, I really enjoyed asking people um, this question. Do you consider yourself to be creative? Of course. Have you always? No. What, what was that shifting point? Probably grad school, where I encountered language and literature that affirmed something 
I believed, but also was sort of enculturated to doubt that not only am I creative, but that the human project is centered around creativity, that creative apperception is what gives life meaning. And yeah, so I think that's when it was just resolute. I'm like, yeah, this is not something that can be taken away from me. Mm. This is a framing I should not shy away from. And again, it's like connects to those broader cultural anxieties around big C creativity right. that you're like creating in this world transformative way that you know there are these ongoing small acts of creativity that contribute to the lushness, the texture, the beauty, the joy of, of life. Did you use the language of uh, enculturated to doubt? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, so the point you're making is regardless of doubt or mistakes, failures, we are all inherently creative. Mm-hmm. How do you convince people of that? How do you show people? Well, I mean, me in particular, yeah, as you, you can probably tell in 550, <laughs> I try and create spaces for people to actually experience it that I think I could tell you until I was blue in the face, but unless you're doing it, it's just too easy to doubt, you know? So show, don't tell, and by showing, you show yourself. So creating space again. So the space thing is so valuable, and I've benefited from it already in the class immensely, and I've seen other people, all of us actively benefiting from it. I mean, just walking into the room over there. I'm referring to her room with the aforementioned materials cart, where the rest of her class is busy creating things. And you know, just <laughs> that is a space that you have created. So in this in this balance of, of structure and freedom, right, which is what we started the course talking about, what is the role of structure in your life? I'm just going to drop in a bit of our earlier conversation when we were making the intro and outro music. Would you like to do a beat. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, can I use like hands? This is this is going to be as unstructured as your prompts for our final projects. Oh okay. So. And I'm asking for all this permission. <laughs> can it be this? Can I be that? Yeah, I want to talk to you about that actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So diving back in, what does structure look like mm. in your creative process? Ooh. So two things immediately came to mind. One, I need to be incredibly structured around time. One of the sort of acts in which I, as part of my sort of professional trajectory as a tenure track faculty member, is writing. And writing is an activity that so easily gets overlooked by other activities and so just blocking out on my calendar just being very structured with my time mm. to make sure that i'm doing the things that are maybe slightly less fun slightly less glamorous things that are much harder um, for me or even more broadly challenging um, so that's one thing the other role structure is just supportive community and so um my graduate students, um, staff members who work with me, actually my partner is a huge source of structure for me in terms of giving feedback and helping me hold myself accountable to things. So I think, yeah, time and um, a network of people are two 
two forms of structure that I rely on um, quite heavily in terms of being a creative agent in the world. How often do those things come in tension with creativity? You know, of having mm-hmm. having a routine or a or a deadline for your schedule versus wanting to create something bigger or more or whatever, right? Yeah. Or creating for others versus creating for yourself. Yeah. Two separate I, questions. Yeah, no, beautiful questions. <clears throat> well, certainly time... I'm very deadline-driven, <laughs> which I'm a little embarrassed to confess. I admire this. <laughs> you, you confessed it, actually. I had a question prepared about this because you confessed oh. it in a class email. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I had quoted that <laughs> to bring up with you. Yeah. Um, it just... It's very motivating. I don't know, time in particular for me is very motivating. But okay, maybe I have ideas and I'm going to write them. Um, but like knowing that it's due, and maybe this is about external audience and accountability to others. Like if I have a book chapter due to someone, there's that like, oh, you don't want to disappoint them. You want to like make sure that you're living up to your personal or professional obligations. So I find that incredibly helpful. Um, but Sometimes if I have not managed my time correctly, um, that can not always feel like I'm doing my best work. Right, yeah, feel free to. My door is clanging. <laughs> it's uh, a nice little background beat. Yes, <laughs> accompanying, accompanying my anxieties around <laughs> scheduling and time. Um, sometimes you just, it, sometimes it has felt like, oh, I have to just like submit this thing mm-hmm. and just get it over the wall. Fortunately, I am in a space often where iteration is a necessary and inherent part of the work. So like you're going to write something, there's a deadline, don't worry, it will come back (laughs) and you'll have a chance to to revise and edit. Um, So that's like obviously the tension between like time is motivating or lack thereof can be motivating, but it also can, yeah it's also a necessary resource for being creative and building Mm. in um, iteration as part of a creative process. And then of course, social accountability highs have enormous benefits, but also challenges, right? Especially with regard to feedback, but like when you get feedback from people, like as our young friends from BPS remind us, like sometimes people are harsh, you know, and sometimes you are not ready to hear feedback and that can be challenging. So um, yeah, benefits and drawbacks, but over more benefits. Um, than drawbacks and all, continuously learning and refining mm-hmm. this process as part of it is the life's work. So what was the last thing you created just for yourself? Or is there an ongoing thing you have just for yourself, mm-hmm. like a journal or something that you, that you don't share with others? Oh, that I don't share with other people. Or maybe you do share it with others, but primarily you do it for you. Well, for the longest time I've maintained design journals and that is something I do entirely for myself. I don't let anyone else read them. It's not like Dear Diary type thing. It's really about my ongoing sort of reflection and sense making. Sometimes it's just to-do lists because sometimes that's just what I need to get through a day or a week. To-do lists can be very creative. Right? Thank you. Especially when you write them after doing the thing just to cry. (laughs) But... It's just been such a generative source of, I mean, as I have probably harped on excessively in class, there is no learning without reflection. And so I hold myself accountable um, to that practice because it's so easy to make, 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 do, 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 Mm -hmm. without really sort of keeping track of the sense making that 
accompanies it. So that's that's something I'm constantly doing, but would never share ever. Um, yeah. So that's there's a distinction there of learning requires reflecting, but mm-hmm. does creating require reflecting? Yes. Well, as a constructionist, I think creating <laughs> is learning. Yeah, hey, I'm <laughs> so, interviewing you for yeah. your. I'll do. I'll do little like edits of like constructionism is this for the for the casual <laughs> listeners. Yeah. So constructionism is this, as opposed to more instructionist teaching philosophies that center around teachers having all of the knowledge that must be deposited into the empty vessels that are students. Constructionism argues that knowledge is actively you guessed it, constructed by learners, especially when they're making some type of external artifact that they can share with others and reflect on. <laughs> so yes, you think you must have a reflective component if you want to sustain or, or initiate creating. Yeah, both. Yes okay. and. Yeah. yeah, yes and. In an email you sent the class, yeah. you mentioned a quote, take your work seriously without taking yourself seriously. Yeah. And you followed that up with, I feel like I need to get this tattooed on my arm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think members of the class would be curious if you have that tattooed on your arm or, you know, <laughs> I think really just, just uh, venturing into talking about tattoos with Karen Brennan yeah. is just a topic that people were interested in. <laughs> so first the yeah. tattoo question yes. and then the quote. <laughs> yes. So many of the of my T550 co-facilitators have tattoos. And one of the sort of long-standing aspirations has been to get a group T550 tattoo, which I would would never do (laughs) because that feels all like, definitely T550 has a bit of a reputation as a cult. I don't think that would do anything to disabuse people of that. So I'm like, no. Although I do like it conceptually, and I love the teaching team so much that that, yes, yes to that. (laughs) But actually, I am, like, profoundly um, pain-averse, and so I, like, do not have any tattoos. I'm, like, just the thought of it, like, I'm breaking out in a sweat right now, just, like, thinking of it, which is, like, I know is, like, a little irrational, and CB, one of the TFs. CB are the initials for a member of Karen Brennan's teaching team, ATF or teaching fellow. It's like, it's not that bad. You'll be fine. It's just like, I just terror, terror. So. Okay. So your, so your primary discouragements are cult vibes and pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good but, summary. <laughs> but you're not particularly averse to the idea of having something on your body forever. No. If I could do it pain free, that would be fine. That would be great. So what? So one curiosity I have about tattoos, just to just to chase down this tangent, yeah. is like creating feels like constant evolving and balance and shifting, and and a tattoo is the same forever. Yeah, but you're constantly building on stuff, and so as a constructivist slash constructionist, um, getting away from models of learning that have the vision of the learner as not having existing state or commitments or interests. So much of our current educative environment is built in that way without acknowledging all of what people are bringing into the space. So I love the idea of making that visible. And it's like, you don't get rid of that. Mm-hmm. You know, memory, so there's a whole conversation about like cognitive science and memory and like what is the role of like persistence in, in thinking and evolution. So like, yes, it evolves. Um, 
but there are elements of it there. So yeah, I I am like intrigued by persistence and its role in self conception and learning and and creation. Mm. So. You could tattoo over it as well. Make it something new. <laughs> sure, add something to it. Right. <laughs> my my understanding's always been that your relationship with it will change inevitably. Yeah. And like your initial reason for getting it will become something else. Yeah. Um, I realized at this time that I had gone past the twenty minutes I had reserved her for. But I had one more question. If you want to share your latest creation, yeah. um, that's how I ideally would end every episode with the guest sharing. Whatever was the last thing you created? Oh, I feel like the last, I'm like going back through the stack of like, I've just been making things that have been kind of boring or like I've found helpful, but are like not interesting to talk about. We support that in this community. (laughs) Any (laughs) creating, it doesn't have to be thrilling. Well, okay, so I'll tell you and then you obviously can edit everything out. So I was just in Washington, D.C. for the past two days for a meeting at the National Academies, and I'm part of a committee um, that's trying to write a report. And we hit this point where we were trying to do something. The committee's quite large, and so are we going to try and do some collaborative writing um, like as a whole group, or are we going to try and break out into smaller groups? And I felt very strongly in the moment that I needed to, like, be on my own or be in a really small group and I have a dear friend who's also on the committee so I was like do you want to come with me like let's go rogue like let's get let's go rogue like, let's, yes let's, let's do this and I was so sure when I was asserted that I was going to leave the whole group and like we were it was like a 20 minute breakout this wasn't like a larger stand against right. the committee but I just I felt like I needed some space and I went off with my dear friend Shawnee and we just did some silent writing side by side and the thing I wrote was just total shit it was (laughs) awful like but (laughs) but in its pure wretchedness it really surfaced to me uh, like a misunderstanding I had been caring about our work and so it was like so when we went back to the whole group, they were like, oh, what's it like? Did you figure it all out? I'm like, no, <laughs> but I figured something out. Yeah. And so it just, I felt kind of smug, but also kind of ashamed. Like I felt bad that I hadn't made progress in a way that was helpful to the group, but it was really like selfishly helpful. Um, and sometimes that's just what the work has to be. And so it was kind of like, it's sort of a boring story, but it was like a really powerful moment and reminder for me like sometimes you just have to lean into like the total trash that you are sometimes going to make and that's going to be really intellectually generative that's perfect that was, in no way was that boring and i have 10 more questions but um i want to say thank you a million times thank you for your time thank you for your class which is in many ways my inspiration for doing this entire thing. And thank you for being here. It's an honor and a pleasure. And I can't wait. I can't wait to hear the other stories. Speaking with Karen Brennan was many adjectives, primarily positive ones like thrilling, joyful, and invigorating. But as much as my giant microphone setup terrified her, I had a hovering sense of terror myself. Editing this, I realized she gave language for my own fears. 
Was I worthy of this time she was giving me? Was I qualified and prepared enough? Much of me says no, and I have a lot of frustration with the questions I did and didn't ask. But some of her final words are lingering with me. The generative value of leaning into the total trash of your creations. This really speaks to me. I've gotten a lot of love and support from friends and family who listened to my first episode, and I am immeasurably grateful. But the truth is, I'm not doing this for you, dear listeners. This podcast is a shout into my own murky depths to see what echoes back. For now, I have to believe that I'm doing this for myself. And I believe that what I need most is to lean into my creating, regardless of the product. To wrap up, here are some lingering questions I have after my conversation with Karen Brennan. I wanted to ask her about the general trajectory of the creative process, which she discussed in class. According to her, feelings plummet from initial excitement into what she calls the dark night of the soul, and then, if one perseveres, upward to eventual dogged completion. I wanted to know what her dark night of the soul looks like, and if she's found ways to make it less dark, or happen less frequently, or if she's learned to love the darkness for what it is. I also have lingering questions about planning versus tinkering. In separate class emails this semester, she has said, I'm an obsessive planner, and discovery cannot be a setup, invention cannot be scheduled. We, teachers, must embrace the vulnerability of not knowing. For creating in general, does this mean making time to explore, but not planning a specific outcome? I'm also wondering what legitimates creativity in the eyes of others. Big, bulky equipment? as we talked about? How much does the idea of what legitimate should look like scare people away from joining in? I'm wondering what legitimates creativity in the eyes of creators. I've seen so many people create things that I consider beautiful, incredible, yet they're ready to throw them away. Does it mean anything to you, dear listener, to know how much I've battled myself to not throw away the idea and work for this very podcast? And finally, I'm thinking about Karen Brennan's goals of creating imaginative space and how it's mostly just about being quiet. I think I'll sit quietly with that thought for a while. Well, folks, that's episode two. Thanks for being here, and I hope you'll join us again sometime. Beautiful. I missed the cue to end. Oh, no. You, I, I should have done one of these hand gesture things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's okay. We're, my cues are, you know, work in progress. I love it. I love everything about that.